What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining me on the second episode of the Why Second Dating podcast. So I am very excited for today's episode. We are joined by therapist and life coach Jessica DeMarcus. I swear, I felt like I totally sucked less at dating after this conversation. She just spoils us with so many goodies, so much wisdom. I'm I'm just going to leave it there. I don't want to divulge too much. I think we should just hop in. I will add, though, that we recorded this in February, so if you're confused by some of the things we reference, that's why. All right, well, if you have any questions or you want to connect with me, feel free to get at me via Instagram, and of course, I'm going to add all the goodies in the bio. Link it all up for you. All right, thanks so much again. I love you all, and enjoy. done this you know seven years ago I, I I mean I guess I've always been pretty open but it's definitely a good time now I feel like there's not much I'm really ashamed of because I've learned to kind of accept and forgive myself for all the things that maybe I could have been ashamed of I don't know can you relate absolutely and I think that if you're not embarrassed by your past, then you're probably not taking enough risk or Ooh, like yeah. living life to the fullest. I mean, I'm cringing at some of the things I did just last year, you know, um, but, <laughs> <So funny. laughs> but everything's like, for me at least, like a lesson and, and something that, um, you know, I can learn from. Yeah, 1,000%. I mean, I like that, that if you're not embarrassed, it's almost like if you're not embarrassed, then you're not aware and you're almost just oblivious, which that to me is the scariest thing. I am constantly terrified of not being aware of what I've been up to or what I might be fucking up on. I recently was told by a friend that she thought I might be ADHD and I had never considered that in my life. I I have tons of friends. Actually, most of my friends have it, whether they're diagnosed or just know they are. And as soon as she told me that, I was like, I think you are spot on. I think that makes so much sense about everything that I do, but I just have never thought about it that way. And I don't really like putting labels on myself. I love how you like are very mindful of the label though, because I think what ends up happening is sometimes we'll identify with the label and not acknowledge all the residue and judgment around the label. And it's like we're personalizing and associating everything to us versus the label being just a simple way to categorize a variety of presenting symptoms. That's all it is, right? And so it's interesting that you say that because for me, um, and I know we talked about this yesterday, like my background is in therapy and part of the healthcare system is in order to treat, we have to diagnose, which in theory is a label. And I really struggled with that part of my job because particularly for me, like having the framework that I do and coming in as a holistic trauma therapist, it was very hard for me to place that label on anyone because there was always, if we did enough digging and exploration, um, 
a reason like mm-hmm. besides biology that was contributing to their symptoms and they were more than just that label. So um, good for you for kind of like acknowledging it. I know it could be validating and at the same time, not like running around like, oh my God, it's a problem. I need to fix it. It's like, <laughs> you've done pretty well at this point, I'm assuming, you know? Well, you know what? I can't take full credit. It was actually one of my therapists that told me that I was, it's probably about almost four years ago or no, three years ago. I was so desperate and I, I was having, again, remember we talked about the panic attacks and how they, Mm -hmm. so I was having all these panic attacks, not acknowledging or listening to my body and its needs and my environment and maybe thinking maybe there's something wrong here. Um, And so I was convinced I had BPD Um, Mm. or not BPD. Wait, what is BPD? Borderline personality disorder. Yes. I was convinced Mm -hmm. I had that. Um, Mm. I did the whole looking it up it was like, if you have nine out of these things, you have it. And I was just like, boom, that's it. It makes so much sense. It was, you know, ingrained into me from trauma. I was just, I, every, it was like WebMD times 10. And then the the first time I saw him, I walked in and I was just so helpless and so concerned and scared and was like, I think I have this. And the first thing he said to me was, okay, first of all, we're just going to get rid of that label despite, regardless of if you have it or not, we're getting rid of that label. And then we were able to dig in and realize, no, I don't have uh, BPD. It was everything else that was happening currently in my life that I was just completely ignoring, you know, that my relationship was unraveling, that there was trust issues there that we hadn't resolved, um, that it just wasn't, we were no, no longer aligned, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, it's pretty wild how those labels can, can be pretty destructive and, and, and kind of set you back. The focus is completely put on the label as opposed to, you know, the deeper, deep-rooted issue, right? And a lot of people, at least what I've noticed is sometimes it could be validating, like, oh my God, that's what's been going on. Like, I'm not alone. And for a lot of people, it could be this pervasive, chronic thing that now they learn this sense of helplessness and they pass the responsibility off to the label and they don't actually take responsibility for their healing. And that... I've noticed is um, unfortunately like a, a negative aspect of diagnosing and labeling. So how did you deal with that in school? Like, was it in, when was the t- moment that you were like, okay, I'm being taught this, I'm being taught to diagnose this, but it doesn't really align with how I want to help people? Mm-hmm. It probably happened when I was, just about to graduate and actually starting to study for my licensure and my boards and things like that. And I worked particularly with children um, and young adults. And I just have this framework that we all have the capacity to heal. Like I'm very team positive psychology, neuroplasticity, Mm. post-traumatic growth. Like I definitely ascribe to that Um, realm of science more. Um, I think it instills more hope and gives us greater chances of healing um, than the traditional medical model. Um, I also am a certified yoga teacher, so I just believe in like holistic health and things like that. So I was coming coming to the table with a lot of these conflicting, I guess I would say, um, ideologies. And so for me, I did have to diagnose to do my job. Um, but what I did is I used it to inform my decision 
not um, inform my opinions or necessarily the exact treatment plan for the client. Another thing that I did too is a lot of people don't know this, but there is some flexibility in diagnosing. Um, One of my favorite when I absolutely had to diagnose was just adjustment disorder, which basically just means that as humans, when we experience transition, right, Mm -hmm. it takes approximately six months. (laughs) And sometimes you can experience anxious symptoms, depressed symptoms, panic attacks, like all these physical ailments as a result of your body just adjusting to the transition, whether that be a traumatic event, a breakup, um, even a good quote unquote good event, a promotion at a job with new responsibilities or moving, right? Mm -hmm. Or studying abroad. Like these are all transitions that take our body and our mind time to adjust. And so for me, that's not chronic. It's not severe. It's not persistent. And it just gave me enough time and space to really support the client um, through that transition. And then not all the time because persistent, severe mental health does exist. But for a majority of clients coming in to see me, um, within six months, like they were feeling better and no longer met criteria for all those other like severe diagnoses. No doubt. No doubt. Like I've never even, I think even just the adjustment transition awareness alone, I've never really even been given that idea before. The fact that it's so true. I mean, your nervous system would be kind of flip-flopping all around And because we're so used to leaning on labels, I can see how someone would just be like, this isn't right. This isn't myself. This isn't me. And then we're so used to almost being so comfortable in who we are that we're terrified of anything new in a way, or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you could just write a whole book on like bringing awareness to that transition. I, I can, I honestly, as, as soon as you said that, I just had this flashback of all the times that I had transitions where I didn't even allow myself to to feel them and it, I almost kind of was like you know not shamed but I definitely became more overwhelmed than I needed to and questioned all of the ways that my body was reacting to it when really it's like you're good you're fine this is normal I that's really yeah. cool I love that yeah I mean think about starting a new diet or a new workout, you're going to be sore, you're going to be inflamed or hungry, or even when you're traveling, like jet lag, you're like your body responds to even the difference in elevation and time zones. Like why do we not anticipate that we're going to have a reaction when the love of our life cheats on us or we move across the country or a loved one dies? Like, hello. That's huge. It's like, what? I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So then how do you, what's your kind of, suggestion for, I mean, even just introducing that into someone's life? For me, it is validating their experience so that they don't feel so consumed or overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. And then giving them space in a very like compassionate way to just accept what's happening with neutrality. Like we talked about, like, just like you don't get upset at your body for adjusting to time zones or adjusting to a new workout and being sore, like how can we just give ourselves some grace and compassion and come to a place of acceptance and neutrality that your brain, your body, your emotions, your thoughts, your energy is adjusting to this transition in your life. And then from building, like validating them and then building awareness and compassion, can we instill hope to create motivation 
to heal or change or grow. So that's kind of my like framework, very loosely stated, and and the stages that I like to walk clients through um, versus them coming in and me being like, what's wrong? Let's fix it. I mean, I I noticed that a lot of us, I mean, I can speak for myself for sure, that as soon as something overwhelms me or I get a challenge, I'm so quick to shame. It's like your framework is something that I've learned to get better at getting to, but I still, I'm not going to lie, shame seems to come right front and center first and I have to like peel through the shame door and like break it down, but it's like shame will never, it's like, can you? just frig off shame. I, I want to just get to <laughs> compassion already. Yeah. <laughs> do you struggle it, with judgment? Do I, what's that? Struggle judgment? With judgment. Oh yeah. 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 And the yeah. thing is I know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I've, I've normalized it a lot. I shouldn't even allow it at all. But then there's yeah. that, that shame that I'm like, I'm ashamed of judging and then I get more. It's like a weird yeah. shame circle. <laughs> yeah. It's like a feedback loop. Yeah. I, that that judgment and that criticism, I think, is not necessarily bad. So talking about labels, right? Like not labeling shame, embarrassment, criticism, and judgment as bad per se. Like there's a function in them. Right. I think when we engage in them intensely and too frequently um, is when they can spiral out of control and then they impact our ability to function and live and be present and impact the quality of our life. So that's another thing that I really try to focus on is like neutrality, like that, that versus like jumping from judgment and criticism to compassion and kindness. It's can we just get to a place of acceptance and neutrality first? And a lot of times that is the tipping point where we can start to bring in some of those more quote unquote positive emotions. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that makes so much sense because I think a lot of us really want to get to that finish line, you know? It's almost like FOMO. We just cannot, we can't even wait, you know, that common saying like, oh, I'll be happy when I get this. It's, 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 it's like, why is that so ingrained into society? Why are we craving so bad to not feel bad? <laughs> because I think that there's been this implicitly stated or ingrained illusion that that's possible, that happiness takes work and that it's not accessible until you achieve something externally and that it requires some type of big like race to the finish line and that it's only for the select few. Like, I don't think anyone's ever sat us down and said these things to us, but we've been conditioned to strive. We've been conditioned to reserve positive emotions. We've been really conditioned to not be present, but future oriented for, to whose benefit? I mean, I could get on a soapbox, but I don't want to tie down that rabbit hole, right? No, no, I feel like you should. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, so, but not to our benefit, not to our mental and emotional wellness. And what's interesting is I think we have to kind of acknowledge all of that and unlearn it because happiness, joy, contentment, and profound fulfillment are found in the moment. Like this, this programming that something has gone wrong, that 
that we are bad or behind or less than because we experience challenges and pain, that is just not true. Like nothing has gone wrong. The only thing that's gone wrong is your thoughts about how it should have went, right? Like life is hard. We experience grief and loss and challenges and pain and heartbreak and rejection. Like welcome to being human, right? Um, I I think the suffering comes when we judge our experience, when we judge our feelings and when we kind of think something has gone wrong and that all of this needs to be absent in order for us to be calm or happy or successful or fulfilled. And it's like, nope, (laughs) that is available to you right now. But again, I, I, I just don't think those things are being taught. Yeah, they're definitely not. I mean, you're so right. We are taught. My my dad in, from the since I was young, it was no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. I I grew up doing taekwondo, and that was it. It was like all about working hard. There's no breaks. It's just work your ass off, and then wait until way older until you can just relax. I see now the repercussions of it, and I I mean, it's like night and day after I decided to start choosing me and my life and and my what I wanted over working. Yeah. And you got to find a formula that works for you. There are some people who love going in and being busy and engaged and on for 8, 10, 12 hours. Great. Not goals for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's okay. Yeah, it's just about I mean, I think the thing is that we we all really are so disconnected with our our bodies and our minds. I mean, that would be if I had to think about it for myself, you know, when you're disconnected, you just kind of go with what everybody else is doing, what you think you should be doing and what society wants you to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest reasons why I started this podcast was to amplify the voices of some badass humans. And today I'd like to give a shout out to the Salty Club. They are an online platform that offers surf-inspired training, yoga, empowerment, nutrition. There is just so much goodness on there. I've spent the last four years catering my entire life around surf. It's the reason why I've lived in the places I've lived and traveled to the places I've traveled. And what's funny is that I'm honestly terrible at surfing, but I just love it so much. And I got to give thanks to the Salty Club for keeping my body moving and grooving and feeling so strong. So if you're looking to take up a new movement practice or level up your surf game or simply start a new nutrition program, they're an amazing app to check out with so much to offer. If you'd like to learn more, I'm going to add the link in my show notes. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Jess. So one of the things that's impacted my adult relationships is the trauma I experienced when I was a child. And I was wondering if you'd be open and comfortable with sharing your journey and how you became a trauma-informed therapist. Absolutely. Um, Well, there's three reasons. So the first one is I'm a trauma survivor as well. Um, So it's very hard to find people in the field who um, don't have a history as well. Um, So I think that definitely pretty early on influenced my desire to 
do social work and then clinical work and then particularly specialized in trauma. The second reason was I started recognizing just how pervasive trauma was. Um, I think we're up until up into the 70s, like 70% of adults have experienced adverse childhood events, um, whether that be classified as like um, an act of violation or an act of omission, it's still trauma. Um, so with that framework, then I actually started practicing therapy and I started realizing again, going back to our conversation around labels that I was sitting here diagnosing people with all these different quote unquote labels. But when I really dug deep, like nine out of 10 times, a common denominator was trauma. Totally. Uh, yeah. So, and it just manifested differently for individuals. Um, and so that for me, like those three things combined just solidified my decision to really like dive fully into trauma work. And I started like really specializing and getting certified and eventually teaching and publishing on it. Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's near and dear to my heart. And even as a coach, I bring that trauma lens into all of my work. It's not something I focus on per se, but I would say all of my coaching is trauma-informed because I know seven out of 10 of my clients, whether they disclose or not, are aware of it or not, have a trauma history. Mm. Can you um, kind of clarify the difference between um, by omission and by violation you had mentioned before? So there are... People call them different things. I prefer that language because I think it's less um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Like there's this hierarchy to trauma. I, I don't ascribe to that. Right. So I use acts of omission and acts of violation because they're still acts of trauma. And so basically what that means is acts of violation are things that happen to you, and and these are things that could be physical, financial, mental, emotional, verbal, sexual, et cetera. And then there's acts of omission, which could also be traumatic, which are things that did not happen to you, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, financial, sexual, et cetera. And so just to kind of give an example to bring this home, an act of violation might be physical or sexual abuse, and an act of omission might be childhood neglect or, you know, things like that. Okay. Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That um, helps me kind of better understand um, just with relationships I've had with people who, you know, didn't understand me at all um, because I, I guess I would be acts of violation, but I didn't have a way to articulate it. So I quite like that being able yeah. to I guess, define it. And um, I've never heard of that before. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I have, I work with a lot of high achievers and, and what's interesting is, and again, this is a generalization and I will totally acknowledge that before I say it, but, you know, sometimes I'll work with people that are having like thoughts and belief systems that are in alignment with a trauma survivor. And when I'll bring it up, they'll be like, no, not me. I, my parents were, you know, finance people and we lived in a great neighborhood and I went to a private school and I've never had any issues. And it's like, okay, well, you know, um, what did it take for you to feel loved in your childhood home? You know, um, mm -hmm. what did it take you to get physical affection or were your parents attuned to your emotional needs? Were they even present? No, my dad was in the military and did multiple deployments. My mom was it was great, but she was a single mom of four kids or, you know, um, oh, my mom suffered from depression and drank wine every night and wasn't really like present with us. It's like, okay, well, 
that just because it didn't happen one time and wasn't like a quote unquote violation is still traumatic. And, and it's interesting. I mean, I can nerd out on the science, but um, those acts of omission, when they're done chronically for an extended period of time, particularly from people who are close to us, they can have the same, if not longer lasting and more severe effects on our relationships, our personalities, and our skill building. Oh my gosh. You know what? That like, that just made me emotional because I can totally see that. I would even, I can see how it, it would be a little more impactful because for myself, because mine was so so obvious, um, I would automatically be thinking I need to consistently work my ass off to get better. Whereas if you just weren't even aware and it was that kind of almost insidious kind of chronic impact, you would never even know that you needed to learn from it. And then it would get to the point where, do you think that's kind of how people become, people end up having, you know, narcissistic tendencies and stuff like that because they're just so unaware um, it could be. I mean, I think, again, you're really going to hear my neutrality come out <laughs> during our conversation. Um, so there's a couple different theories. I ascribe to a theory of personality traits where we all have a personality quote unquote disorder. Um, it's just more on a function of um, a spectrum of functionality. So for example, I would venture to say that people like Kanye West and Beyonce and you know, um, Taylor Swift, like they all have narcissistic tendencies, right? And I'm glad they do. Like they had the audacity to believe in themselves and be <laughs> egotistical <laughs> and perform and give us a show and know they're the yeah. shit. Like, yes, thank you. Oh, yeah. Please, Sasha Pierce. Yes. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But then when you take those tendencies and go towards the end of the spectrum that's non-functional where they don't have empathy for others and they engage in things like gaslighting and not taking responsibility and things like that where it can be damaging. Um, the same is true for like OCD, right? Like I I want my surgeon to have OCD tendencies. <laughs> I, I want yeah, them to be methodical and I want them to be precise and rigid and on time and clean and thorough. Yes, please. Do I want my um, partner to operate on the end of the spectrum where they are like not able to get out of bed and it takes them two hours to leave the house and they're losing their job because they're chronically late because they're anxious? Like, no. So again, like I think there's, we have to look at the function and the dysfunction and the severity of how it's impacting them. So to come back to quote unquote narcissism, I would venture to say, this is a pretty bold claim that most personality disorders are a result of trauma um, because particularly with narcissism and even BPD, um, borderline personality disorder, um, those characteristics were created early on as an adaptive mechanism. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is they over-engage in it and or they engage in it when it's no longer needed and now it becomes maladaptive. Yes, of course. Totally. Yeah. I can definitely resonate with that. I think that's when I started and I, you know, I always dial everything back to relationships because that's kind of, you know, the theme of this whole podcast, but mm -hmm. I noticed I started healing better, I guess would be the word when I started to notice that I stopped labeling my partners and just started to notice that all, everything that they did was never to me or in malice towards me. 
um, and that they weren't a narcissist and they weren't an asshole or, I mean, there's a difference between someone who's an abusive asshole or not. Yes. But, you yes. know, in regards to who I'm speaking of, they're all amazing humans in their own way, but I was able to actually see the domino effect from their caregivers or who are, their experiences in life that brought them to act in ways that they did. And same with myself. I mean, the book attached really honed it in at the very end. Oh, After yeah. I read that, I was like, oh, wow. And it was like, as soon as I read that, I was able to just see all of my past partners so much clearer and just be so grateful that I, you know, when I was younger, I definitely would have been the type because I was uneducated, you know, and I, I would have called names and labels because uh, I didn't know any better. Now I'm so careful about that. I can definitely say that, you know, I have certain tendencies that maybe someone could be calling me a narcissist. Um, but yeah, having, you know, the knowledge that yeah those things happened to them and that's why they act in certain ways mm -hmm. is, is such, you know, a, a valuable tool. It's huge. Absolutely. Well, it allows you to cultivate perspective and compassion. I do think there's a fine line between understanding what's contributing to the behavior and allowing it to be an excuse for the behavior. And I think you kind of alluded to that. Um, but yeah, that book attached basically talks about attachment theory, which is huge in relationships. And a lot of times, again, this is a generalization. When there is a trauma history, you're not dealing with a securely attached individual. You're dealing with an anxiously attached and avoidantly attached and or mixed style attachment, which is really difficult to cope with if one, you're securely attached and two, you're with the opposite person who is triggering your attachment style constantly. Yeah. You're feeling unsafe and unsure and engaging in this really interesting form of relating that is long-term, like not the healthiest. Totally. And then it's like, you can, I mean, I can get to the point where you could almost get re- traumatize or further traumatize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. those are the tough ones i mean how do we get everybody to read attached <laughs> you know yeah what I mean? yeah um so i the reason i like that book attached too is because it's one of the only pieces of um like common accessible literature on attachment that particularly talks about attachment from an adult relationship standpoint a lot of attachment theory and research is done on children because that's when it's developed. Right. But that book really talks about the fact that you can actually heal your attachment style through corrective experiences. Yes. And what that requires, though, is one, being aware of your attachment style, two, being aware of what and who triggers it. And if you choose to be in a relationship with someone who does trigger it, doing your own work, understanding your needs, getting your own needs met versus like passing the buck to them and transparently communicating to them what needs to happen in those moments or doing the work to heal your attachment style so that you can be in relationship with a securely attached person. Um, so again, going back to the labels, you can have a tendency to be anxiously attached, but it doesn't mean that you are an anxiously attached person and that's how you are and you're never going to change. Again, yes. with awareness and with skill building and with the hope and belief that you can grow and change, which you absolutely can quicker than you think, um, you can become a securely attached person. Absolutely. You still might have those tendencies because that's your baseline and your brain might want to play some tricks on you when you're not paying attention. But as long as you can maintain that awareness and that attention, you'll be okay. 
Yeah, I love that. That really actually, that book kind of gave me a little bit of hope, like, well, gave me so much hope, actually, because, you know, for a while, I was, of course, doing that whole questioning thing and, and, and really kind of resonating with the anxious attachment style. Um, but because I have four different parents, I have, you know, stepmom, stepdad, and then mom and dad, I knew that I could oscillate between secure and disorganized. And in, in all the different relationships I've had, I've, I've, I've felt secure sometimes. So I knew that I didn't have to kind of put myself in one category. But one thing that came up and we had talked about yesterday was um, I've noticed that with all the work and all the reading I've done, we, you talked about the cognitive healing versus, you know, that somatic, that body healing. Um, and I'm so intrigued by that. I'd love to know your journey through that and, and how you created awareness because I find that is actually my last ticket is that I thought that I, in my mind, I was like, he, like not healed because of course the journey goes on, but I, that knowing that there's such a difference, it was like, whoa, okay, I cannot wait to hear more about this. Yeah. So um, I'll share personally and then professionally kind of Ooh. what that looks like. Yeah. So personally, I was 26 years old and um, I was already like practicing therapy for years um, and I was even teaching about trauma therapy at this point. And um, I was in a really unhealthy relationship. Um, it was definitely a repetition of the trauma of my early childhood. It just looked different. And so my brain didn't catch on until eight years later. <laughs> so I was 26 years old and, and finally like all the work cognitively had caught up to me and I was at this crossroads in my life and I decided to um, leave that unhealthy relationship. Um, it, it felt abrupt, but it was a long time coming really. It just, it, it, took a while for me to get the courage to actually leave and the belief in myself to leave. Mm -hmm. And um, so I finally left. And as a result, I really struggled um, in multiple domains in my life. Um, I struggled professionally, emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually, financially. I, you know, I was out on my own. And again, it was totally unexpected. Um, and so I started a really intense therapy program. So I was in individual therapy. I was in group therapy, all the things. And I was engaging in um, a typical intake for the new therapist and I'm laughing because I was like, oh my God, your intake's just like mine, right? <laughs> and she asked me about trauma history and I kind of breezed over it. And then later on when we were talking about like childhood and family life and things like that, I was sharing something. She goes, oh, you didn't mention that in the trauma piece. And for the first time, I, I had someone very explicitly say to me, Jessica, that is trauma and, and really and break down what I was sharing. And she basically was like, I know you know this because if a client came in your office and shared these things with you, you would write that down as trauma. And I just, for the first time in my life, like acknowledged that what I thought I had healed, I had only understood Whoa. but never actually dealt with whoa. And that was like, um, that was game changing for me where I was like, oh, wow, I understood what happened and why it happened and this and that. And I had reasons and perspective. And I, I was able to talk about it from all these different theories and perspectives and talk about it and not cry and get emotional. But I wasn't actually calling it 
trauma and acknowledging how it was impacting me and actively working through it. I was only cognitively trying to build understanding of it. Wow. Yeah. And so that, that began a massive journey, massive journey of, of really working through it, which included really tough therapy focused around the trauma. Um, it included, um, a meditation practice, um, somatic work, really getting in tune with emotions that didn't feel safe, such as expressing my anger, embracing my sexuality, establishing boundaries, creating safety, um, identifying and articulating my needs. <laughs> um, and like, like that, that's the integration piece. That's the somatic piece. It's taking the knowledge and actually applying it and giving your body visceral practice with the theories, with the knowledge, with the understanding, with the skills, so that your body can start to integrate corrective experiences and learn what it feels like to be safe, to be calm, to be angry, to be triggered. And actually with time and patience, like starting to kind of learn and create space and compassion and release some of it too. Um, so, so it was a really, it wasn't, it was not linear, but it was really beautiful and healing. And, and like you said, like full transparency, like I am still healing. Like I still work with a coach and with a therapist. I still have a personal, um, yoga practice. Um, I was doing some intuitive movement and, and breathing and, um, things like that just on Sunday <laughs> because yeah. I was triggered on Sunday. <laughs> so, you know, it, it doesn't stop, but, um, now I'm able to not just acknowledge what's happening and be like, Oh, that happened because of this check dealt with it. No, I dealt with the stressor. Now it's time to deal with the actual stress mm-hmm. it's causing in my body. And that's when I, um, kind of went to some practices that I've developed over the last few years that work for me. Oh man, that, that hits so, that hits home for me. Like, oh my gosh, so much. I, I feel like that's all I've done. I feel like you just described my whole journey <laughs> that I've only just understood. So, I mean, in, I guess, you know, for someone, for other people who are kind of, are going to probably just go, whoa, how, for those who don't have access to, you know, a life coach or therapy at the moment, maybe, whether that be because through time or finances, you know, how, how would one be able to kind of start approaching the somatic healing on their own and what, or what resources could they find to, to help them, you know, get that journey started? Um, so there's a couple things. The first thing I can think of is there's a great book by, um, Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I've heard of that uh, one. Oh my goodness, so good. Um, it is pretty hefty, in, but if you can bear through some of the research, he's just trying to really show you that there's science to integrating the body into trauma work. Um, so if you can grit through that, there's really beautiful information in that book and it's really validating and there's a lot of great resources. So that is like a $14 like low barrier to entry to start this work. Um, Other things you can do are start to just kind of for yourself acknowledge what your acts of violation or your acts of omission have been and with like grace and kindness just kind of start by acknowledging and if there are people that you feel safe enough to maybe start 
sharing that with or asking for support in ways that feel accessible right now, that might be good. Um, or just starting with yourself. What would it be like to like, when you think of those things, tune into your body and just notice what physical sensations may or may not be present. And I say may or may not be present because you might think of it and like get angry and there might be some like fire or warmth in your stomach or butterflies in your chest or tightening or like tension in your glutes, depending again on the type of trauma. But there also might be nothing. Like you might struggle feeling anything because you either numb out or disassociate when you think of the trauma, which is also, again, no judgment, a coping skill, but is not applicable or relevant right now because right now you are probably okay. You are safe. You are not in danger. And so it's actually reminding your brain and creating safety in your environment that you're okay to check in. And if there's nothing present, what would it be like to really take your time scanning your body and noticing the most subtle sensations? And if you do notice something, can you just breathe into that area? Can you just maybe repeat, I am safe. I am okay. This sensation is moving through me. Like, I know it sounds really simplistic and maybe for some people woo-woo, but again, like grab the book. There's a lot of science behind it. And and you can start there and 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 Another really important thing about somatically healing trauma is I'm, I'm biased. I think talking about it when you're ready and with a skilled individual is helpful, but it's not always necessary, mm-hmm. right? Especially because trauma for a lot of people, depending on how you experience it, is store in, stored in the part of the brain that there aren't words. And one of the things that makes it traumatic is that it's disorganized. And so it's actually hard for a lot of people to articulate clearly and cohesively about their trauma, that is actually part of trauma therapy. It's getting to that point. So Mm -hmm. like if you don't have access to a therapist or a coach or feel like you can't talk about it, it doesn't mean that you can't start the work. Mm -hmm. What part of the brain is that, by the way, where trauma Um, is Mostly the amygdala, which is like the little fear center. Um, And for a lot of people, like what you were talking about before, it's overactive because we are in these situations where we're chronically releasing cortisol and we feel like uncertain and like our needs aren't being met. And it's just this like chronic but persistent drip of cortisol and stress. And again, our amygdalas are just hyperactive and hypersensitive. And if there's a trauma history, like the amygdala is even more hyperactive and it shuts down the prefrontal cortex, which is like responsible for, you know, like decision-making and perspective and and all the things. So, you know, like, yes, you you have your biology maybe working against you, but again, with neuroplasticity, we can heal our brains Mm -hmm. um, with some of these practices. So just because again, you might have a hyperactive amygdala because you have a trauma history does not mean that this is persistent and and going to be present for you every day for the rest of your life like you can heal amazing I love the idea of the body scan I've actually only ever practiced that in a in, in a yoga setting but I've never thought to approach my trauma and 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 use use that as a modality but I realized that kind of intuitively I I if I were to actually go back, like for example, as we've been speaking and, and I kind of have, you know, memories kind of shoot in, in and out of my head, I noticed that I felt a little heaviness in my chest. And then I felt a little thing in my throat that felt like I wanted to cry. And then at one point I felt like a little sweaty, you know, different little things that I'm like, Ooh, these are bringing up, you know, for example, one of my relationships is so recent. It was like in November. And, and even now that I've grown and I've accepted and I've forgave and, 
um, all of that good stuff. There's, I still get a little feeling like just kind of in my like center, just above the bot, like I guess on my sternum. And it's, I find that it's huge for me. I mean, as much as I know everyone runs different, but my feelings, I like, I feel them physically. Do you find that there's a, you, do you see differences with your different clients and stuff like that and how their feelings manifest? Cause mine are like, it's like my palms will sweat instantly and, or like, I'll feel it. Like it just feels like a 20 pound weight, you know, or I literally will choke. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's wild. It freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish more people took the time to build that skill set of being attuned to the physical sensations of emotions. Um, I don't think it's that people don't experience physical sensations of emotion. I think that they're not connected to them. Um, whether they don't acknowledge the emotion or they don't give it the time and space to move through their body or they're just shut off from the neck down. Um, Because what emotion is, it is a chemical reaction to a stimuli, whether that be internal or external. And when it releases those chemicals and hormones, it's going to create a physical sensation because it's going to tell the body how to react. And so the fact that you're attuned to the scent, the knot in your throat, which is causing you to want to cry or the tension in your chest or the sweatiness in your armpits or your hands, like that's not you being super emotional or your body being overreactive. That's just you being attuned. Um, Let me go. Yeah. There you go. Right. (laughs) Honestly, everybody watch out. I mean, how do you think I got that way? I've, I've been, then if you're saying that I've, I've been like this since I was a little girl. Since the earliest I can remember, I've always, and it was, I remember when I forgot my first panic attack, I, I got it because I felt so uncomfortable. I felt this thing on top of my chest and it felt awful. I can, I honestly have this one memory of being in a car and feeling so uncomfortable that I just started having a panic attack. But at the time Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was happening. So I just Mm -hmm. remember crying. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't stop. I couldn't understand what was going on everything was my whole world felt like it was crashing but it was just this one chest feeling and and then that's basically stayed with me my whole life Um, I've never known a life without these physical um reactions to my emotions well again going back to this like spectrum right where it's like you have people who are completely disassociating and people who are completely ruminating right and again not that either is good or bad but when you're too far on any spectrum, it's probably something worth looking at. And so for people who are disassociated, maybe being more attuned to their physical sensations and or their emotions would be helpful. And then people who ruminate and they loop and they get stuck and there's that anticipatory anxiety about, oh my goodness, I'm feeling the sensation in my chest. What is this? Right? And then it causes it to kind of grow and spiral out of control. It's how can we come to the place in the middle where it's like, oh, wow, I'm noticing a sensation in my chest or wow, that sensation is tight, it's heavy, it's getting worse. What can I do in this moment besides like feeding into this energy versus just acknowledging the energy? Right. Right? Wow, like it came, I'm curious how long it will take to go. Or wow, it's getting tighter. What would it feel like if I loosened it up a little bit? Or wow, that feels like really centralized. What would it be like if I like allowed it some more space to expand? wow, I noticed myself like caving in. What would it be like just if I like, oh, stretched and opened my heart and let out like a really long audible exhale? 
oh my god I want to like I'm just gonna have this on recording and just have this <laughs> in my pocket as like a go-to care care package for myself yeah I've never been even asked myself those questions I usually just sit there and go like oh there it is and then I think intuitively I'll if I if I you know what I have these moments it's like sometimes I'm I have accessibility to that that those I allow myself to do the stretch without even thinking about it but then depending on where I'm at and in my life and how I'm treating myself sometimes I I can go the opposite way and I let that feeling almost just take over and it becomes heavier than I have the strength to pull out of it mm-hmm. and that's such a weird contrast for me yeah so again like instead of fearing it how can we kind of embrace it and instead of like giving it energy how can we give it space and mm-hmm. managing our thoughts because a lot of times what makes a sensation worse and this is why a lot of people will go to disassociating or numbing or distracting or avoiding because they fear the emotion will take over and it's oh, not that the emotion will take over it's the fear the thought the belief that i can't handle this this is going to get bad I can't be angry. I can't be sad. I can't be anxious. I can't control my body versus again, like just come. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm good. I don't feel it. I'm just saying come to a place of neutrality where it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Hashtag neutrality. Like, oh, interesting. There it is again. Yeah, totally. Have you ever experienced before it going beyond just those heavy feelings are palms sweaty have you ever experienced you know ulcers or hives or even um I I had one time actually this was this was recent um where I wasn't listening to my body so bad that not only was I having panic attacks but I started getting extremely itchy and I was getting all these bumps as if I was getting bitten by something I wonder if that was associated with how stressed I was at the time and how disconnected I was with my intuition or my gut telling me that Mm -hmm. this wasn't a situation that was healthy for me. Well, let me ask you this. When you got out of that situation, did the symptom continue? No. Yeah, it went away. (laughs) There's your answer. Yeah. Like I gained 15 (laughs) pounds in that short amount of time. I was having panic attacks worse than I had had in over a year and it was just so wild I felt so awful for Mm -hmm. my partner then because he was probably just like what the fuck (laughs) well yeah it's interesting I mean again like I don't think people acknowledge the variety of manifestation symptom manifestation and, and and what that could look like it it could be your typical flashback it could be your typical like aggressive behavior it could be your typical like disassociation but it could also be um, inflammation it could be digestive issues it could be irritability it could be um, hypersensitivity it could be um, you know a, a variety of things everyone's biology is different and just like how we taste food differently and view things differently and have different opinions, our bodies are going to have different reactions, sometimes even to the same event. So again, the question is, is when you take away the stressor, does the symptom continue? You you have this beautiful way of just being able to just, I mean, you're so wise. It's just like, as soon as you say it, I'm like, well, duh, how did I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's just, 
I mean, at this point, it's crazy. It's been like I've been in the field for like a decade. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it because I don't feel that way. But um, when I when I think about it, it's like wow, it's it's been a really beautiful journey. And 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 the way I'm talking and articulating and expressing things now was not always the case. Like this has been through deal. I've I've worked with thousands of people, you know, and so I just have so many examples where, you know, healing is possible and what trauma looks like is different and who it can and can affect and what it looks like. And it's just, I really struggle with the binary view of anything because I've just seen such an eclectic, like, sample of people and human life and experience. So, mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, we, I hope we get to a place where we kind of remove that binary and remove those labels um, and allow ourselves to just experience and be present. I'm curious to know, you know, after a decade of this work and after a decade of your own kind of inner work, what is that like? You know, what's it like being you and and (laughs) going through challenges? I mean, I'm sure you 10 years ago and you now, you know, deals with challenges differently. And I also read something, you did something for 650 days yeah. Can, do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I was burned out. It's actually right around the same exact time I left that relationship. Um, so a hundred days before I left that relationship, I was so burned out at work as a trauma therapist and, um, you know, just with my perfectionistic tendencies and imposter syndrome and all the good Whoa. juicy stuff. Uh, so I started this challenge where um, I – I'm a nerd, so I started doing research around my symptoms, and I recognized it was occupational burnout, and I was like, okay, well, what's the remedy? And they were like, self-care, and I was like, okay, I know that, but what the hell does that actually look like? (laughs) How do I do it? (laughs) Like, I know it, but how do I do it? Like, that, like, cracking the code, like, missing puzzle piece. Um, And so I was like, all right, I'm a type A person. I'm going to – how I do one thing is how I do everything, so I'm going to go balls of the wall with this. And so I was like, I'm going to do something self-care related – every single day for 365 days in a row and see if it solves my quote unquote problem of burnout. And I'm also the type of person where for me, I know I need accountability and social accountability is like, like if I tell someone it's getting done, it's getting done. So I was like, all right, I'm going to create a blog and I'm going to post videos every single day of what I did for self-care that day. And it went so well, not only like building my audience and really serving people, but it changed my life that I actually did it for 650 days in a row. Um, And actually on day 100 is when I, because I was taking the time to take care of myself and do the actual implementation of self-care, did I recognize that this relationship was a huge contributor to my lack of wellness. Um, And I finally cultivated the courage and the belief in myself and the self-care skills to actually leave. Oh my God. I'm in awe of you right now. That is amazing. <laughs> I can't even, and that, that kind of reminds me of like why I started the podcast was, you know, for that accountability, which, you know, was terrifying at first, but it definitely gives me a little bit more stoke about it. Uh, just cause it, I mean, in the end it, it is, it's all a journey and it, that's so beautiful. So 650 days? Where did you document all this? <laughs> oh my God, you're going to laugh. On Snapchat. This was like back in oh, like yeah. 2000, like, I don't freaking know, 14, maybe 14, 15. And I wasn't like yeah. on social media back then. And I was like, okay, like 
what makes the most sense? And I was like, okay, 10 seconds a day, Jessica. I think that's how long Snapchat videos are. I don't even know anymore. I don't have it. But um, it was, I was like 10 seconds a day. Like literally I'm, the world could be exploding. A comet could be coming and you have 10 seconds a day to document. Um, mm -hmm. And so it started on Snapchat and then I started a blog online um, and then I started um, publishing research on it and then my research got picked up and I started speaking about it. Um, and then I got some private funding to um, like actually develop some programming around it. So um, it was non-linear. That was not the goal. The goal was for me to just feel better, but like just get started, do it messy. And uh, like, honestly, like my life now is a testament and a result of the decisions I made a decade ago. Oh my God. Amazing. So do you, do you feel like after all of that, when challenges come your way now, you know, present day, Jess, do they, do you ever have moments where you feel helpless or do you, do you feel like you've kind of just, you've got this no matter what? I have, I'm human. I have moments where I feel all the emotions. I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed. I feel um, rejected, hurt, sad, disappointed. Um, helpless, I haven't felt in a while because I've cultivated so much faith. Um, mm -hmm. And not even necessarily like in a quote unquote religious sense, but just like evidence in my life, like all the things I've been through like, and that I'm here now, it, it, it's just evidence that like, either I'm going to be okay or I'm going to die. <laughs> so like, I know that sounds really morbid, but like, it's, it's the truth. It's like, either I'm going to die and that's the end. Um, or I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And will I be happy? Will I be successful? Will I be rich? Will I be healthy at the end of it? Hopefully, maybe not, but will I be okay? Yes, because what's the alternative? Death. And so for me, I've just cultivated so much faith by really understanding all the good and all the bad and how, again, when we take away those labels, just all the things that have happened in mm -hmm. perfect timing, in perfect synchronicity to get me to where mm -hmm. I am now, even when I didn't like it in the moment, even when I didn't understand it in the moment, it all played an absolutely necessary role um, for me to get here now. And so that's part one. And then part two, I also just have so much acceptance around all of it. Like I know my saddest days, my most painful moments are in front of me. Yeah. And so when they come, they're still going to hurt and I'm going to utilize all my tools to take care of myself. And I'm not going to think something has gone wrong. I'm just going to acknowledge that this is part of being human. This is part of life. And this is part of my story. And I don't like it in the moment. And I don't understand. But I trust that it's all part of it. Oh my God, so, yes. yeah, like I, I just – I still am human. I still experience things. I experience even more now because of the way I live my life and the risks I take and the type of awareness I have. Like I feel everything even more. Um, but I think my mindset and my skill set really kind of buffer and allow me to enjoy my life at a higher level than I was before. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That is one of the things that I feel like I've, I've always kind of believed is that if we don't, if we don't stay curious and have a willingness for this, you know, you won't achieve that higher frequency. And, you know, you see it so everywhere. People don't even realize that there's 
I remember saying to a partner once, because I, I wanted to explore, you know, sex in a different way, not just like, let's, let's bring a new toy in the bedroom. Right. I was like, no, I, I wanted, I want to go deeper. And, you know, I know that like, if you think orgasms are good now, I know that they can be next level. I know we can tap into a higher frequency of feeling mm-hmm. that isn't just about achieving orgasm. There's like a deeper connection. And I've always kind of thought about that. Um, so yeah, I, that's, it's, you know, super inspiring and that kind of faith. And, you know, when you were saying all that, the thing that I was, that was kind of hitting home for me was that I, I, I feel like I got there and maybe hopefully people can relate to you and to me, but I feel like I got there and I had so much faith. I had so much hope and I built all those rituals of wellness to get myself out or just, you know, allow myself to heal from challenges. And then recently I hit this wall where some, something happened to my faith mm. and, and I, 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 I almost struggled to get it back. It was a lot harder of a war in my mind. You know, it, I had to, it was, I almost like gave up the fight in a way it, it felt, I felt defeated fully for the first time in a long time because I mean, my life is, I mean, other than the injury, you know, it, it has, it, it's, you know, come a long way. So how do you, I mean, for, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's felt like this, you know, after so much work and then finally finding themselves in like just this very helpless position where they feel so weak. I mean, what do you, what mm-hmm. would you say to me and them, all of us? <laughs> well, it happens to me too. Like it's not like this uphill perfect trajectory. It's definitely nonlinear and I have down moments. I experience doubt. I experience uncertainty um, where it requires me to really dig deep. Um, And so one thing that I like to ask myself is how am I supported right now? Like in multiple domains, right? So how am I supported financially, socially, um, divinely supported? Um, How is this exactly what I need right now? How is this actually the perfect timing? How am, is this going to be one of my favorite questions? Like when I'm like trying to hype myself up is what's going to be my comeback story from this? Oh my God. That is amazing. (laughs) Like already like (laughs) anticipating it. I want to like, I'm just sort of like, I'm just like, I feel like I just want to start dancing. That's an amazing question. We need to write a book of these questions. Like a little, what are they called? What are the things you get from stores? Because they're usually in red packages and they have like band-aids and, you know, what are they called? For kits or something? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I need my own personal, like just for a save kit where I just like have all your questions written down. And if I'm ever feeling like, I'm like, okay, where's my first aid kit? Okay. Ask all these questions. Yeah. So like those are ways that you could do it. Another way that you can do it is um, with a, it's, it's from NLP anchoring, but go back to a moment in your past where you felt like you weren't going to make it, or you felt like it wasn't going to work out, or you felt like the odds were stacked against you and you overcame it. And yes, it might've been messy. And yes, it might've been hard. And yes, it might not have worked out how or when you want it to, but you fucking did it. Like tap into that moment and double that feeling and really embody it, breathe it in, let it soak it in. And then from there, right? (laughs) Like do that every single day until you get it back. Totally. Turn on some Lizzo and just own it. Yes. Love it. (laughs) Oh, I love this. Oh, you're so amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow. I 
yeah, I'm just sitting here just like, I don't know if you can see it in my eyes, but I'm just like, <sighs> all right, tell me what you're working on. Tell me what you're excited about. Yeah. Oh my God. So actually, funny story, I'm launching my podcast on Tuesday. Sick. What? Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's like super funny timing. Um, so it's called the Unlearn to Level Up podcast. And nice. basically what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be taking the best from psychology, coaching, and yoga and breaking down the things that you need to unlearn to break through to your next level. Um, and I'm going to be taking these big frameworks and breaking them down into like bite-sized 10 to 15-minute episodes every week um, so that you can actually like learn the tools to change your life from the inside out in a way that is holistic, a way that is scientifically based, and a way that is based in knowledge and not just like what you see on Instagram. And I also run a group called the 3C Community, and basically that stands for going from confused to clear and confident. Um, and it's for high-achieving women who know they're capable of more, but they let self-doubt, anxiety, indecision, lack of confidence hold them back. And so it is um, my signature program. It blends self-paced coaching, group coaching, and one-on-one -on -one coaching um, so that we can change your life in 90 days. And it's, like, wow. really exciting. Yeah, we have our next round starting in um, April. So um, that's something to stay tuned for too. Ooh, I'm definitely going to stay tuned for that. I can, yeah, I'm very, very curious. I did read a little bit about that. So I'm excited. There's so much exciting stuff. Oh my gosh, <laughs> on your podcast. You didn't even tell me about that yesterday. That's I know, so I know. Because we're on your podcast and I was so intrigued and how I could add value and like Aww. jam out with you. But yeah, so that's, that's coming out on Tuesday. I'm pretty pumped about it. Thank you so much. Like, thank you for taking the time to just talk to some random person who wants to start a podcast because of her breakups. <laughs> well, I literally was reading and I was like, oh, that's me. Like, I'm down. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so oh my grateful. God.